Continuing completed classics. Fulfilling failed franchises. Reinvigorating reviled rehashes. It's the follow-up showdown! With Paul Gitz, Travis McMaster, and Lauren Pacorny. Hello and welcome to the follow-up showdown, where we give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, Paul Getz, and so I suppose I would be Agent P. Uh, I don't love it. And with me, as always, are Agents T and L, Travis McMaster and Lauren Picorni. I think you both have pretty good um, agent letters. Well, I would have thought so, too, before we watched Men in Black International. And now we know hmm. things about Agent T. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. Oh. Not, maybe not high the best tea. name. Yeah, but he, he was high T. It's a separate... Oh yeah, high tea. It's high you know, tea. That was yeah. game. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was fun. It was a fun little pun. Uh, high um, oh, wait, pun. I don't get it. High tea. High tea. Oh, because it's London. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I was thinking about how I wish there was a bit, kind of like in Reservoir Dogs, where they don't like their uh, colors that are assigned. They don't like their letter. The the guy that they set up as the red herring in Men in Black International to be the mole, Agent C. I thought they should have made a joke about him sounding like agency. Oh, oh agency. Yeah, that would yeah. have been fun. It seemed it's like he got a lot of ribbing, you know? It well, you know what, like Paul, it would... I'll say if there is one franchise that is the poster child for missed opportunities. Oof. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, let me, yes, uh, we will, of course, get into that. Let me set up Sorry. the show. <laughs> if you've yet to hear a showdown, the way we do things around here is we pick a movie that either has no sequel or a sequel that falls short, or in some cases, way short. And uh, take turns proposing our own versions of what should have been instead. Um, if I sound a little aggressive uh, today, it's because we're talking about something of a sore spot for me, and it sounds like you as well, Travis. The Men in Black series. Yeah. Uh, I am a huge, huge fan of the first, and the legacy has been, I think, done a huge disservice by by the existing sequels. Until now? Question, Question mark? Um, this is technically the first series we've done an episode yeah. for. I mean, I know we talked about the Aladdin trilogy a little bit, but this is, I think, the first episode where our focus is like a series that went off the rails and never righted itself. Right. Um, Correct. Oh, oh, here's a fun, maybe this will be a fun little game. Um, I'm going to give you all the Rotten Tomato scores. Are we going to guess? What's them? that? Are we yes, gonna you're going to guess them? which oh, is which. Right. Okay. 92%. 39%. 23%, 68%. Okay, so. I think so, I know. Okay. I I oh, shit. Right. Lauren's ready. You got him? Okay. Okay. In, okay, so 92%, uh, I think, would be Men in Black 1. Yes, and I think that's low, to be honest. I, A little low. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to say 68% is 3. She's wrong. Continue. I'm saying she's wrong. I go, think go so. Go ahead. Keep going. Then. I'm going to say 68% is for um, Men in Black International. No, I think, um, yeah, 68 is 3, 39 is 2, and 23 is International. Lauren nailed it. Wow. Lauren got it exactly, exactly right. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That would, that tracks for me. Although I, I, I have a disdain for two over International, like a personal disdain. Sure. It hurt you first. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, and in a different way, it it, it well, shat upon many things that I loved. I did at least want to bring up the idea of a two Travis McMaster minutes. I know there's four films, but do you think you're you're up for it? I, I think I can condense. Woo woo woo! Two Travis McMaster minutes. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't prepared almost anything, so these minutes are going to be as sloppy as ever. Okay, great. And you're describing four films in two minutes. I'm here. All right, and go. Okay, so uh, Men in Black uh, is about Will Smith, Agent J, as a New York cop who seemingly gets recruited for the top-secret alien detection agency Men in Black uh, by Agent K because he chased down one guy. Um, it was a super impressive chase down. I'm not trying to undersell it, but it, it, it was an odd sort of recruitment tactic. We'll circle back. So he gets recruited for the Men in Black. Um, his new partner, Agent J, trains him on what seems to be a pretty routine but, like, high-end exciting day uh, where a bug alien from another planet comes down looking for an Archelian prince to start a war, to start war, to feed his bug race of people. They blow him up and stop him. Agent K gets denuralized and goes back to normal life. Agent J trains his new partner, Agent L, as a top Men in Black agency member. How am I on time? You're okay. Go, 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 go. I want to see where you... Men in Black 2, we see um, Agent J is now the number one agent at the Men in Black. Um, A revolving door of partners. He's a bit of a lone wolf. Um, A new alien threat uh, shows up, and it's it's linked to Agent K specifically. He's the only one who knows that uh, some MacGuffin should have been unmacguffined, or some bad guy should have been unbadguyed, or whatever the crap. So they have to go get him, undeneralize him in a very clunky way, and they sort of do it twice in a way that they can have their cake and eat it too. So Agent K is sort of back, except when he's not. Uh, and then there's a convoluted plot where he was the father of Rosario Dawson because he was in love with this alien princess and they were keeping something safe on the planet Earth. And that's what Lauren, Laura Florentino, Laura Flynn Boyle is here to collect. Um, and then they kill her. Um, Men in Black 3 shows up and now Agent J and K are partners again, but they're, they're very uh, at odds, it seems. Um, Agent J is very cranky and Agent J keeps bringing that up. Uh, then they... Uh, Jermaine Clement is a monster, and, he, and Agent J vanishes uh, off screen. And then Agent J, Agent J, Agent J uh, stop it, stop it! They know what I'm talking about. Agent J <laughs> then goes back in time, uh, uh, and he hangs out with Charles, uh, Josh Brolin, who kind of makes it worth the price of admission. Um, and they go have like 1970s, 1960s antics, but not as much as you'd really like. Um, and then you, they go to the, they stop them, the monster. Uh, with time travel again inside the time travel at the, um, the moon launch landing, the moon landing launch, we find out that Agent J's father was a important colonel in the military then. Um, and he helps them on their mission, uh, sacrificing his life because he has seen that his son will grow up to be this important agency. Um, and it's a really actually nice moment. Uh, and I really enjoy it. Um, and then Agent J and Agent K are buddies and the, the future is safe. Continued. Men in Black International stars none of these people, and it's just Tessa Thompson and Chris Evans being themselves, which is kind of all you need. And Tessa Thompson smarts her way into just infiltrating Men in Black. Uh, she They kind of recruit her on a trial basis. There is a plot involving just a weapon. Just a weapon is on Earth, and it can destroy everything, and some people are after it, and they go after it, and they... Stop it. Uh, in, in the meantime, there's a mole in Men in Black. They uncover it, and then all is right in the world. 
How'd I do? All right. You did four movies in less than three and a half minutes. All right. All right. You hit 326. Um, not bad. There were, there's a few, I have a few corrections and omissions. Um, I appreciate that you called neuralized deneuralized and then you called being deneuralized anti deneuralization. Uh, (laughs) that was probably my favorite one. I also particularly loved Lara Fiorentino. And then also you referred to Chris Hemsworth as Chris Evans. Yes. But as I did throughout the entirety of Men in Black International. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Linda My, Martin Klecklocken. Well, well done. I'm glad you were up for the challenge, and uh, you know, you, you, you did right by it. Thank you. I'll get it right um, one of these days. Okay. Well, so then, yeah, let's let's start rolling into it. I mean, we have to at least talk a little bit about the first one. Not much in the way of critique None, here really. for me. The, I mean, it's one of my favorite movies, and and I would assume one of yours. I put Men in Black. I would almost put it next to like Jurassic Park and Back to the Future and Ghostbusters and all those like nerdy movies I loved as a little kid, except that I happened to see it just a few years after I had grown out of loving movies that kind of like purely and unconditionally, you know, by the time Mm -hmm. 97 had come around, I was already, uh, you know, a certain number of years old. So that part was gone. But I think it's pretty much a perfect movie. The first Men in Black being one that I saw with my grandpa and, um, you know, my he was a tough sell and didn't bond with me on a lot of like stuff that I loved. I mean, like we got along and, and everything, but it was like, uh, he wasn't into pop culture. And I remember him loving men in black and me just thinking that was the coolest thing in the world. Like, Oh man, it even gets, it even gets to grandpa. Yes. You were right. Um, that it was the coolest thing in the world. Also the, yeah. uh, visual effects mm. still. Hold up. I know I was thinking, in watching Men in Black International, that e- even though you can tell their older effects, the creature design on the bug at the end of Men in Black, I like much better than the design of the hive at the end of I have my thoughts about Men in Black International, and it's becoming increasingly yeah. obvious they will be controversial. So Okay, but specifically you liked the way that, that I hive looked? The movie and turned to Lauren and spoke about it when he showed up. Oh, so wow. I've got thoughts on the okay. hive, my friend. Okay, fair, 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 fair. I, yeah. I look forward to those. Well, just getting into the uh, writer's notes on Men in Black 1, credited to Ed Solomon, the creator of the Bill and Ted movies. Oh. An old friend of the show, he was one of the writers on Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> but famously with Men in Black, because it was executive produced by Steven Spielberg and he had a lot of influence, there is an uncredited rewrite on Men in Black by David Coep, the writer of Jurassic Park. That makes sense. Yeah, I was saying this as I rewatched the first one. It's that perfect uh, balance of creepy and funny in almost every scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I, I, f- I still found the the parts that were supposed to be scary effectively scary mm-hmm. and, like, visually cool. Yeah, I agree. Like, their parts were creepy. Like, whenever the bug throws Vincent D'Onofrio's skin over the hill, that scared the hell out of, yeah. out of the crate or whatever. Um, How that whole concept is awesomely dark, scary. Yeah. Creepy. He yeah. does such a good job. I'm like, what was he directed Vincent to do this? Well, I got some fun. Yeah, I got some fun stuff on that. I have a very quick director's notes. This project was originally offered to John Landis, who specifically refused it because he said it seemed like Blues Brothers in space or something like that. And uh, since regrets that decision. Yeah. Doesn't that sentence sound awesome? John Landis? <laughs> 
Yeah, that's very true. Um, and then it was offered to Quentin Tarantino, who also... Yeah. Uh, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh. It is interesting. I was thinking about that and sort of like trying to picture a what would that look like type of thing. And I'm wondering, you know, because he, he's had interest in doing Star Trek. I know he did a CSI. I mean, he's done some TV stuff. I think he can rein in his Tarantino style. You know, what? for the sake of another story. I don't know. Not to get off on too far of an obnoxious film bro tangent, because I do like Tarantino, obviously, but I don't ever like when, when people do the thought experiment of like, what if Tarantino did a blah, blah, blah. I don't think right. the Tarantino flavor works well with anything else. Um, and maybe he can rein in his style and just play it straight. I wouldn't know, because I'm not really interested in seeing... That. that is a very good point. If it's not going to be Tarantino-esque, why does it matter if Tarantino directs it right you know i mean if he wants to, i guess if it matters to him that's great if he wants to make something that's you know i'm sure tarantino can do it i just don't really yeah. want him to try i don't need that from i want yeah. men in black to be men in black i agree with you and i think barry sonnenfeld has a great feel for Love. what it needed at least one time he did he knew once so Actors' notes, Jay, at some point, I put this first because I don't know where it works in the timeline. Jay was at some point offered to David Schwimmer, who turned it down. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no to him turning it down or to the idea in general? To the idea. I mean, obviously, I, it, it always sounds more serious than it was. You know, David Schwimmer considered for Men in Black. I'm sure that was, I, I don't right. know, not as to what we think it was as it was. Um, having said that, though, I can't think of a David Schwimmer Men in Black movie. I would. Oh, no, I lied. I would watch that. Yeah, yeah I'm watch it. I got myself on board, Paul. In any case, it, we don't have to worry about it. It didn't happen. Um, <laughs> apparently, um, Spielberg, who, again, very influential in this project, apparently it was near and dear to him in some way, specifically wanted Clint Eastwood and Chris O'Donnell. For oh, I remember hearing that. Oh. Yeah. So he pushed that on Barry Sonnenfeld, who always wanted Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. And Eastwood turned it down, luckily, for Sonnenfeld. And Chris O'Donnell, apparently, Barry Sonnenfeld, purposefully bombed the meeting and told Chris O'Donnell that the movie was going to be horrible and wasn't going to make any money and it was going to make him look like a sidekick again. He, he fed him all this stuff to make him turn down the project so that he could get Will Smith. Seems a little mean over, like, I mean, from Chris O'Donnell's perspective, but. Yeah, because, like, why not see how he would, how he would do? You know, there's no harm in just being yeah. like, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. No harm. There's absolutely harm. The harm you're talking about is we don't have Will Smith and we have this guy being in the Men in Black now. Well, because and you're talking to me about no harm. Just because he's auditioning doesn't mean he's going to get it. Doesn't audition. But with, if Spielberg has his eye on him already, maybe he would have. Oh, I see. You know. But, yeah, uh, it's an interesting uh, alternate version to consider. Apparently, Edgar was originally offered to John Turturro, who turned it down. That'd be interesting. For scheduling conflicts. Yeah. John Turturro? Um, maybe um, from Lebowski? He's the Jesus in Lebowski. I oh, like Lebowski. sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. doesn't like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He's in so. Transformers. And I didn't want to embarrass Oh, yeah, that's right. Transformers. First one's good. See, that's an interesting point of contention. What I was, I almost brought Transformers up as an example of when I was talking about series because I feel if we're going to do series, we have to That'd draw the line at the first, the first one being good. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and the series has to lose its way. Whereas Transformers, like the idea of a bad sequel to Transformers to me is like, well, it was probably just like the first one. 
I think it's interesting because I don't like the first Transformers. It, well, I don't either. That's what I'm I saying. Like, I do like the others. I think those movies, no. they, are what they, they are what they are. Like, let's all calm down. But there's no need, no need to vilify them. They're really solid, big, pretty-looking, flashy action movies that are fun the whole time. I think a huge problem for me, and it's something that I learned while watching Four Men in Blacks in a row, um, I think length is a huge issue for me, and it's becoming more and more of an issue in modern films. And I think cutting that extra 15 minutes to a half hour would severely change the way I think about things for the uh, most part. Greed. Yeah. And I think Transformers is an example of that. I remember that movie being like two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's like that type of storytelling, it doesn't need that. Anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in to Transformer Talk, our best men in black podcast <laughs> around. <laughs> keep us on track. Oh, okay. So, last two actor notes for Men in Black. One, Linda Fiorentino won the part of Elle from Barry Sonnenfeld in a poker game. Awesome. Uh, confirmed by both of them. Or maybe not secretly, but is she um, just like badass and we don't know? She's got a badass voice and a badass vibe, and she's not around that much, so I don't know. But that's I know, and her her expressiveness, I, like I, I really this time around, just just taking her performance in, she really, I feel like she should be a star. She really has something intense and nuts and crazy, like to to what she brings. Yeah, I don't really know what happened to her. In watching Men in Black, and it's always fun to watch it this way. If you just try to um, just hear the words of the script for her scenes rather than watch yeah. kind of what they're all doing with it, is it doesn't quite vibe, jibe with what's on screen. It almost feels like her character in particular strikes me as having changed quite a lot from the script. And I think a lot of it is what she's doing. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think even if those were all the exact lines from the page, like she is bringing a layer that is sort of like what makes her character so compelling is you are trying to read it. It's really understated. She's never trying to be weird or spooky or intense. She's just doing these weird, spooky, intense, intelligent things in a really, really small way. Uh, and she's a really good example of a sort of like maybe a less flashy thing that really is working very, very well in the movie. No one ever kind of talks about how well her character is presented in the in that movie. But it, it works just yeah. as well as anything else. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so the final actor's note is Vincent D'Onofrio, in preparation for his role as Edgar, he's apparently a pri primarily dramatic actor and very method in his, in his style. Uh, so he watched several bug documentaries and... Uh, the sort of the biggest physic physical thing that came from it was he felt the need for a distinct walk. So he wore uh, knee braces for all of his scenes to keep him from bending his knees. And he taped his ankles to further impede his own ability to walk so wow. that every scene with Edgar would look as though that he was, you know, not in the right body. Huh. Uh, well, it worked Vince. Yeah. Job well done. Yeah. Cause that our character already has so much going for it. it it's like, it could have worked without those added details, but those added details make it hard to beat. I, certainly, I would say no villain they came up with in the sequels matched Edgar, and I don't know that any villain could have. I had that same thought. The villains in these movies don't really work. I haven't figured out why, because the actors are very cool. But first, I have a question about the Lemonade Paul. Oh, first, uh -huh. first, 
How long did it take you to get that Jay does not like the way the lemonade tastes because Edgar took all the sugar? It was something I had never realized until... I realized it this watch through. Definitely, I was told. Okay. It was something someone told me is like, oh, did you ever realize this? I just thought it was bad lemonade. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that too. And to be honest, I think I'm, I think I still buy that it was bad lemonade a little bit more because she only hands him that bowl of sugar. Yeah. You know, like she's probably got more sugar in the house. Sugar supply in one bowl. But also, why would she make lemonade without sugar? She's not neuralized. She's not neuralized yet. She's being hospitable. She's from the South. What makes lemonade bad is the question. It's it's not sweet. Or it could be too, I don't know. Oh, like, it could be well water, like in Back to the Future 3. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, she could also just, we know, according to Edgar, I mean, obviously he's horrible, but she's bad at cooking. Because That's, he's complaining about the dinner he's being served also, at the what beginning. What is this, like a Homer Simpson joke? She's so bad at cooking, the lemonade catches on fire? That can't be what we're no, doing. No, I just think that uh, <laughs> I just think that's one of her characters. Uh, you know, handful of quirks is she doesn't she doesn't know she doesn't know cooking, but that's she's still great. Well, thank you for tuning in to Lemonade Talk, the only Men in Black podcast <laughs> that talks exclusively about lemonade. Anything else you want to go over in terms of Men in Black One before we move into this? No, not the, not the first one. The sweet, precious baby is she's perfect. Uh, no notes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Men in Black 2, possibly my least favorite movie of all time. Um, I would say of the movies we've done on this podcast, I would say Dumb and Dumber 2 might be, is probably a worse movie, but it didn't hurt me as bad as this one. Sure. You know, I remember very, remember very specifically when this came out, I was hyped, of course, and it was, I would, but I was in high school and all of my friends were like, oh, Men in Black is dumb. Who cares? And I was this the, the kid that was sort of like uh, adamantly like, no, it's clever. It's funny. It's good. It's like really everything about it is good. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see when we all go see this second one. And then we went and. Um, oh, so it, it embarrassed you personally and publicly. Yeah. But and- it was also like I couldn't accept back then what had happened. So I saw it like four or five more times in the theater just to sort of try to make myself like it. Yeah. Because I don't know that at the time I could put my finger on what was so wrong. Well, it's hard even now. Is it? (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know. um, But I I liked um, the first movie so much. Of course, I was extremely excited. And I think that year was another big year for movies. And I was also, you know, um, somewhere in, in the schooling system. So I, I, I was very excited. And then I went and saw it and it was very, I was very disappointed in a very, you know, annoying teenager way, which is like loud and fussy. Except for Rosario Dawson, that's the movie that introduced me to her. And then I had a giant crush on her for uh, many years. I had but an opposite one, effect with her where this movie oh, made me hate her unfoundedly. She just didn't work for me in such a huge way that I was like, oh, that actress is the problem. And, and uh, now I love her. Yeah, doesn't work in the movie, but almost nothing does. On this yeah. rewatch, I definitely tried to find an angle. I knew it was my least favorite Men in Black. I knew there wasn't much for me there, but I, I tried to find <clears throat> something to enjoy there, even if it was just nostalgia or like, hey, look at how they made movies in 2002 or whatever. I couldn't. But there, there was. I, I really, really tried. There was some stuff I did like in it, of course, but... 
by and large, I, I didn't, I didn't have a great time. I didn't have as much fun as I wanted. Almost everything feels flat with the exception of Will Smith, who so much of the movie is not balanced by Tommy Lee Jones. So he's going so big. I feel like he, like he's cranking it up to the cartoonish point. Serlina's flat. Johnny Knoxville's not funny. Uh, the plot doesn't matter and it's not entertaining or weird or spooky like Edgar. It's just sort of like words, 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 words. And then the movie is just them driving from location to location being like, so what's going on? I almost wonder if, you know, when the, if you look at where everyone's career was in 1996, when they made the first movie, and then you look at where everyone's career was when they would have been making the second movie, I I wouldn't be surprised if everyone had a, bigger amount of influence and a different point of view from everyone else going into making the movie. Uh, I'm trying really hard not to vilify anyone. I used to hold more specific blame about this movie on people. I used to, I used to be mad at Will Smith, even though just because he sort of takes more of a front and center. I'm the star role. Sure. But what are you going to do? Of course he is a star. What you definitely, what I definitely know is that everyone involved wanted to make that a good movie. And knew how to, because they'd already done it. So well, I don't know what happens. Okay, but. well, maybe this is a good transition oh, wow. into the facts. Whoa. Taking a little bit of a closer look at what was different from the first uh-huh. time, besides the years. So we get no Ed Solomon. The writers of Men in Black 2 are Robert Gordon, who co-wrote Galaxy Quest. So that, in itself, that's something. And then Barry Fanaro, who wrote Kingpin. The crew, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. I feel I like see. that's maybe more I, what we I, got. <laughs> I feel the flavor. I feel yeah. that flavor in Men in Black 2. Um, and no David Coep rewrite. It was requested by Spielberg again, but he was busy on Spider-Man at the time. What? <laughs> Steven Spielberg could only find one guy who could put a frown into Men in Black. And that guy was busy at a different typewriter that year. <laughs> okay. That must have been it. Well, this is good. Now it, Frank the Pug singing Who Let the Dogs Out. Oh, this is God. on you, David Coop. I, I, that's a perfect example of, I feel like Men in Black 2 got Ghostbusters 2'd. Easy. Um, you know, because there was the animated series in between. I, I yes. think that Men in Black is oh, a worse yeah. example of the same type of thing, where they were influenced by sort of having a kid's market and sort of this cartoonish universe, and they sort of tried to jam that in. Yeah. I think all of the movies, you know, especially the first three, fell victim to the classic sequel trope of um, repeating the same comedy beats over and over again, which is always exhausting. But watching <laughs> watching through this time, I realized um, Will Smith's character, he kind of fumbles his way through all the movies. Yeah. Like, in the first movie, like, he, he chases down a guy. Okay, he's a good cop. But nothing he really does in that movie is impressive, and he's kind of, like, goofy the whole time. Nothing against him. I love, I love Will Smith. But watching it, I, I did definitely see, like, oh, he's not, like, particularly skilled in this what? he's a good cop but he's kind of just he's kind of just a goofball i'm gonna have to say, disagree here i would say by three he seemed pretty expert but oh, i mean God. that had he's been 14 years or whatever 
And then also his style is supposed to be like, even as an earth cop, he's more casual and relaxed and devil may care. Um, and that unfortunately gets re- rewritten and written up and leaned into in certain ways that now we're just doing like clown stuff. Yeah. True, um, true. This seems like a really good time to step in personally and say like, I, I didn't know any of this anti Jay rhetoric was going to be coming out of Lawrence. We, this didn't come up during yes, the watch. Did. She sprung this on me. <laughs> It did I don't sanction this. It did come up. You just don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> Astute observation. I, I don't know I don't know that I'll ever be done dumping on two. Um it's unforgivable. Uh it, its major sin, I wanna say, is that it totally throws the balance of J and K off, and that is the heart of your movie. Also, to me it's kinda sad to bring K back. And kill, yes. have his wife leave him, and have L leave, and have undo absolutely everything. This is this is. Um, I will say I, I do think there is good in Men in Black too. If you want to look for it, there there is some positive stuff. There's some really cool cool stuff happening, and some really good gags. Uh, the the monsters in the in the locker that sold yeah. me. I laughed my ass off for furry guys. I don't know why it shouldn't work, but it did. Yeah. Um, and I will say that you just like monsters. I do like monsters. Last notes I have yeah. on Men in Black Two: the pug who played Frank, same pug in nice. both movies. Uh, they dyed his gray face fur for the second one Aww. to make him look more like he did in the first one. Which, but I, I'm if glad like that, that that actor never had to be recast. You know, that's really sweet. <laughs> well, I mean, there was there was the Frank the Pug in Men in Black International, and yeah. I don't know if anyone's good at dog, but you're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, everyone. Famke Jansen was originally cast as Serlina, and Dude, had, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, and she had to leave the movie because of a death in her family. Oh Aww. my god! Other actresses who auditioned: Holly Berry, Jennifer Lopez, and Yeardley Smith. Oh my Voice god. Of Lisa Simpson. Yes. I don't so know what she looks like. Here's the thing. She was in that one episode of Sports Night, remember? She yeah. gave the guy the fine for singing. <laughs> <laughs> I really think Yeardley Smith would have been a really, really awesome, fun villain. Yeah, She's I think super you cool. need a character actor for an alien villain. But apparently, how Lara Flynn Boyle ultimately got cast was that Jack Nicholson, he was dating her at the time. And okay. they, the studio wanted Jack Nicholson to do at anger management with Adam Sandler, so they cast her as a bargaining chip to get that to happen. Oh, Hollywood story. <laughs> Hollywood, baby. Welcome to Hollywood. I like what they were going for with that character, but mm. they didn't write it in any kind of subversive way. Well, there's nothing so funny. It wasn't- or fun. Right. So yeah. having her walk around in, in Victoria's Secret underwear, if you're not doing anything with it, it just feels like needlessly sexist. But it. I mean, it she doesn't even really get work. to do anything fun with her attack. She just holds out her fingers. Yeah. She does the snake things. Yeah. That's why I was thinking no matter who they cast, they would have been wasted anyway because That's the true. character itself has, has no meat. Yeah. Also, for anyone interested, Jack Nicholson is 38 years older than Lara <laughs> Flynn Boyle. Ooh, yeah, well. But hey, there's I'm, two people in that relationship, right? Yeah. Or just shooting a gun in every direction. <laughs> <laughs> no allies here. 
last note I have is that Robert, both Robert Downey Jr. and Keanu Reeves auditioned for Charlie slash Scrad, the Johnny Knoxville role. Which, what a waste of a of anyone. What a, that was the time of Jackass. Johnny Knoxville was a star, and I just assume they're like, yeah, we wrote this role for him. Take it. I mean, that role is... He just disappears at some point in the movie and never comes back. Yes. I realized. The thing about particularly the Johnny Knoxville role is that Lauren had a huge crush on Johnny Knoxville at the time. I did. And I just think that that's, I don't know, I find that charming and I just wanted to bring it up. Oh, that's the thing about the Johnny Knoxville role. (laughs) No, I don't think it's embarrassing. Hang on. I don't, to be clear, I don't think it's embarrassing to have a crush on Johnny Knoxville. That makes perfect sense. He's a good looking, charming, just weird Southern boy. Uh, You know, and I think he's delightful. I Um, saw him once. Okay, settle down. <laughs> but I just thought it should be uh, made mention of. Well, finally moving on to Men in Black 3, the writer Eaton Cohen, who wrote Tropic Thunder and Idiocracy, like a pretty well-known comedy writer these days, um, yeah. Men in Black 3 did oh. get a David Coep rewrite. Didn't help. Made it um, worse. So do you lo- dislike 3 more than 2? I do like 3 more than 2. I do. There's a really cool movie in three um, that doesn't ever, it, it's not, it doesn't exist. I would. The second part oh. of three is, is quite good. Like I would say the first part of three is as bad as um, the second one, but like about halfway through the movie, when they go back in time and everything, I actually did start enjoying myself and um, Josh Brolin is just there, like giving it 150,000%. So that's really helpful. Yeah, I would say that I I rem- I always liked three more than two, but this time I think I liked three even more than I remembered. I definitely think once they get back in time, you, sort of the things that seem a little updated, like the uh, Bill Hader scene as Andy Warhol, like that stuff just really works. And yes. Josh Brolin really works. It sort of brings back that JK dynamic a little bit. But I would say the biggest crime committed by three is it's too long. And I mean, one and two are an hour and a half. Two is less than an hour and a half. Three is an hour and 45 minutes. And I think that maybe if they'd cut those 15 to 20 minutes of unnecessary stuff, it might've felt really tight and good because the story, I, I don't mind. I think the movie they wanted to make was Jay goes back in time and we just do men in black in the sixties with Josh Brolin. And it was going to be like the fun of that. It's all encapsulated by that joke uh, when Jay asks for a gun and Josh Brolin just hands him a yeah. gun. And he says, no, no, space gun. That's the movie they wanted to make. I think somewhere along the way it got blown up and it got to turned into what it got turned into. Casting stuff oh. from Men in Black 3. Rip Torn is not in it due to illegal issue. Uh, he had drunkenly held up a bank teller. Um, <laughs> so he uh, sort of uh, wasn't allowed uh, to do the movie uh, in the capacity they originally intended, but he does play an alien at Zed's funeral. Oh, oh interesting. Like the voice, or he's, he's just there? sitting there. He's dressed up as a big-headed alien, just I guess so. for the fun of it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, cool. <laughs> how, okay, guys. How cool would it be if Rip Torn did pursue a life of bank robbing, and after every heist, Oof. he would run out of Yelling, you just got ripped off. Ooh, I love it. I didn't even know that was coming. I was just happy picturing Rip Torn robbing banks (laughs) and just laughing. 
<laughs> As he drove away. Yeah. <laughs> the late great Rip Torn, he will be missed. But uh Sasha Baron Cohen was considered for Boris the Animal. Uh, sure. Oh sure. Would have been about I the mean, same. They, that role ended up being pretty overall thankless. You could throw whoever you want in it. He I, did, do, I do feel like he gave it his all. Yeah. I certainly liked him better than Serlina. Yes. As a villain, and I, there was some fun moments. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the moment where he was yelling at his past self. That was a fun scene sure, yeah. where they really sort of got to play with that character. I, why did he kill that pussycat doll at the beginning of the movie? And why did she bring him a cake? But it seemed to me that it was like uh, they had started like a pen pal. She'd fall in love in love with him from a long distance, but he uh-huh. never cared about okay. her. He like seduced and then that was the her, and then. Face. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then he was like, he's like, well, like okay, all right. Yeah. Redacted. Her okay. still felt a little, you know. It did feel a little. It, it just seemed like a mean way to open the movie, just to kill well, this. It was also like lady. everything bad in the world said about Men in Black Two. Um, <laughs> the opening is more in line with the first one's opening and is kind of promising, in my opinion, where the where the ship is blowing up the planets and then it lands and it's tiny and like it's like oh, it's full of like quirky yeah. twists and turns and then the opening to three is just sort of like cold open men in black three here you go like here's my question the men in black seem to now have a maximum security prison on the moon that in the first way i assume that like if an alien criminal did a bad thing we'd send you packing back to alien land like oh, we don't we don't keep on Earth. Unless we're, like, know. waiting for your transport or whatever. Yeah. yeah, there could be prisoners being held waiting, but we don't have long-term maximum security prisons well, on the moon. It I seemed, thought we were just flashing bumpkins. I mean, it, they implied that it was the only... They built a prison specifically that could hold him, although his breakout was super easy. I do... Now that you're pointing it out, I do wish they had given us... And they really could have without really taking up much more time a little bit of a, a, a story as to where Boris was at in the 60s maybe we could have even seen his like hand uh, scorpion go away in the first place because that was it seemed like all he needed to escape I guess I don't know but once time travel starts getting involved I, I tend to stop I try not to expect too many things because time travel is made up and every movie is going to treat it differently. So if you start getting expectant, you're just going to drive yourself nuts. So yeah, I guess that doesn't bother. Me. It just went away. Well, I feel like, yeah, the, the end in three in particular seemed to drop a lot of balls. Uh, uh, the okay thing, but also the guy whose son was holding on to the time travel technology. It was like, he, you know, they had made it a point that it was outlawed. This was the one person left doing it. I thought that they might revisit him because he had said, like, come back and tell me everything that happened and then, like, neuralize him or something and just sort of, like, take care of that threat and say, like, time travel doesn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Oh, that, that doesn't bother me because it's just, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's a goofy movie. I don't need that thread tied up either. Yeah, but if it was a better movie, um, you would want it tied up. That's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it depends on my mood. Yeah. Um, I really do like the, um, the, the alien in the movie with the space head who like 
can see all time at once and oh, yeah. changes can can see the changes in the universe. He was so darling. Yeah. Griff. He was darling actor. Griff. Griff. Yeah, it's a cool concept. It's that high concept men in black stuff I I always want the series to do and I like that it actually did it in a really cool endearing way. Yeah, I like him too. I uh I would say you got a lot of the same from him, sort of the nature of that character. I thought some of his stuff could have ended up on that trimming the extra 15 minutes floor, but I did like him. I think the actor did a great job. I think the character was great. I just think they overplayed their hand a bit. That would be my one criticism of, of Griff. Uh, sure, maybe. I don't, I don't, I'll take, in, in, you know, in a movie that I'm not crazy about, I'll take um, too much of the good stuff. <laughs> okay, so last, potentially least, depending on how you look at it, Men in Black International. Um, I am curious as to where this one's fallen for you. It sounds like Travis really loved it. Sure did. I <laughs> uh, know. I wouldn't say loved it. Uh, I I really liked it. I'll say second best Men in Black easily. I went I went into it like a like a great big piss baby, just so everyone's clear. And then starting the movie at every opportunity, I tried to like cross my arms and harumph it and go like, "Well, why are you doing this?" Well, why is this happening? Well, why is this happening? Um, but then time and time again throughout the movie, Paul, it gave me an answer to that question and was doing something charming or cool or, I don't know, funky. I had a good time. Nice. And Lauren, your your thoughts? Um, I also, I guess, to a certain extent, went in as a big piss baby, but that <laughs> attitude never Right off the bat, so many things were so... They directed Tessa Thompson especially to be so exaggeratedly, like, over the top. Like, her reaction shots, like, they were so directed and just, you know. Yeah. If that makes any sense. <laughs> Not much. That makes sense to me because <laughs> I was the I was there when it happened. Um, I, I don't think it was the worst one. I would say it's probably... How is it not easily The third second? one? Oh, my God. Because I enjoyed the latter half of three a good amount. Yeah, I would say I'm I'm in line with you, Lauren. I I, I rank it below three, above two. Um, you know, and I, 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 I haven't been hopeful for it in a while because nobody seemed to like it. But the concept of moving away from the sort of JK-centric Men in Black thing, it's like, it's like a Star Wars finally moving away from Luke Skywalker. It's like that universe is could be huge. It should work. Mm -hmm. And I think Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson are so charming that it's like, why shouldn't it work with them? I don't know that I ever really... I don't know. I don't really feel like I ever really got a good read, more so with Chris Hemsworth, but I don't know that I ever felt like I was reading a character so much as I was just looking at Chris Hemsworth. And and I have a a specific thing I, I didn't think I was going to point out, but I might as well go ahead. There's that shot where the alien puts Chris Hemsworth into slow-mo because yeah. she's, he's so perfect to look at that she wants to see him in slow-mo. Yeah, yeah. And it. it's, you know, it happens, That's I guess, I, I guess it happens in a lot of movies, but it reminded me of the moment in The Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio where you first see That's him as Gatsby. And the reason those two shots remind me of each other is because the the concept of the shot is this person is perfect. You know what I mean? You're looking at a perfect person right now. And Leo nailed it in Gatsby. I thought Hemsworth looked pretty rough in that he's perfect shot. He's looked so much better 
I thought he biffed the perfect shot. Did uh, I, you guys feel that sorry, way? Paul, to biff. No, if what, yeah. if what you're bringing, <laughs> if what you are bringing to the table right now is just a bag of Chris Hemsworth didn't look handsome, then I'm not even going to open the window. Baggy. To talk. Yeah, I look tired. Waving you away, sir. <laughs> the window's not open, sir. Please move along. Nobody wants to buy your crap. Thank you. You know, I will say, but to whatever madness you're speaking. No, I'm sorry. Continue. Continue. I'm well, bullying you. Big, big part of the plot here was Molin Men in Black. And I'm sorry, but if you cast Liam Neeson as an authority figure, he's the mole. Specifically, Liam Neeson, he's always going to be the mole. Also, <laughs> but they also cast that other guy. The I know. other guy. He was a red herring. It's a pretty good red herring. That whole part of it, I do not feel, was dealt with well. It was uninteresting. Okay, and Now, it's entirely possible that I had such low expectations for this movie that I didn't see any of that coming because mm. I kept expecting the movie to be worse than it was. I didn't see it coming. Uh, I didn't see the mole thing coming. Then I just thought it was the red herring guy. The only reason I figured out it was Liam Neeson is because we had 30 minutes of movie left. And I was like, oh, the only thing that could happen is mm. that. Um, so it all worked for me. Uh, I'm not going to take points away from the movie for, our, uh, for being op for our, for being <laughs> obvious though. Cause I still think that it, it did what it was trying to do very effectively, even if you saw it coming. Well, once again, it, it's the longest one. It's two hours long and it, yeah. d- it didn't need I, to be. I mean, a hundred percent. Um, I agree. Also, I'm I like Jamil Nunn. Johnny, I was looking forward to his character. I had heard some decent things about that character. Um, I didn't Ooh, hate Kamel Nick- K- oh, okay. and Johnny's uh, uh, Pawnee. Pawnee. Yeah. Um, and I didn't hate that character, but I, it felt like an afterthought. It felt like he might not have even been in the movie at some point, and then they just started adding him in places. And I agree with you. I, I went the other direction, and I was kind of like, guys, more in the movie or not at all. This is such a weird amount of of uh, Kumail Nanjiani to put in the movie. Because when he's in the movie, he's like right there talking to the camera, making yuck-yuck jokes. He's not like Iago, like in the background on his shoulder, making one-liners. He's a part of the movie, but then he's mostly um, not doing anything. Yeah, and I would say like, you know, what everybody knows works so well about the first men in black is the balance of the K and uh, J uh, dynamic. Whereas in this movie, I don't know that you got a dynamic at all. I mean, there was no struggling to work with each other or get to know each other. It was kind of just like she showed up, got information that she, you know, kept from him and they were fine. You know, that's fair. I, I, that's a fair um, complaint. I think if we had if you had trimmed some of the movie, you could have tightened up the relationship more. But I guess I would agree that the the movie just kind of pushes everything forward. Um, I guess my point is I don't care because it's I I am charmed by those two actors just hanging out with each other enough to get through it. Well, I don't know. Whatever, it sucked. Can I? You know, let me jump in with a little positivity. The movie looked good. That's like the one good thing I really to say about it. like the cinematography looks good, the CG looks good for the most part. All parts. Yeah, I, I, I and I think there's good character design in all of them. I mean, two included. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really cool looking yeah. stuff, you know. 
with how much of the movie is like layered in that sort of uh, those sort of visuals, I I should hope so. You know, almost at, at a minimum. But yeah, I agree. I agree. It looked good. I mean, there's no but reason to not like Agent M. She's a hardworking, earnest individual. No, that's, that's what it was. I really, I really, really loved the way that they get a normal person into Men in Black in this movie is just that she's just clever enough to have gotten. Yeah, in. that was cool. Because I would say, yeah, I agree. That was like my favorite part of the whole movie. And I loved the that she used the hot sheets to get there. And the alien looked exactly like he looked on the picture. And like, I loved all of that. Yeah. And it felt like such an organic way for her to have like seen her parents get neuralized, but be far yeah. enough away. Like it really, really organic. And Tessa Thompson played it like just dorky and unhinged enough that you buy it, but also just socially competent enough that you like, obviously Tessa Thompson can get through a conversation without being a weirdo. Yeah. Um, but she is just like on the front enough that she's kind of like quirky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the notes uh, that I have on international, the writers for that, Matt Holloway and Art Markham, they are writing team. They wrote the first Iron Man. Uh, they wrote oh. Punisher Warzone, and they are writing the upcoming Morbius movie. Um, that tracks to me pretty well. I think that a big part of what I was missing in this in comparison to the others was the same type of humor. Um, really, I just felt like it was pretty low on humor in general. And I think that that seems about right, given given those writers. I mean, I guess those movies have humor in them, but not as much. Yeah. Well, I think the humor, the uh, yeah, I think a lot, a lot of the humor from the movie is going to come from Chris and Tessa being themselves. So if you don't, if you're not, if that's not charming you the way it, it's supposed to, then you're not going to get well, they, as much comedy out of it. They did a lot of those more modern comedy improv e scenes where you could tell that they were yeah. told to just sort of riff, and they're always just sort of like attack on at the end of the scene. Worked for me, Paul. Don't know why. <sighs> hey, well, I want to tell you. The, it, this was directed by F. Gary Gray, who directed Friday, The Italian Job, Fate of the Furious. Um, and this is the second franchise that he has taken over for Barry Sonnenfeld, because Barry Sonnenfeld directed Get Shorty, and F. Gary Gray directed Be Cool. So I don't know if they know oh. each other, where they have a relationship where Barry is recommending him, or but... Uh, Could be. And then uh, the only sort of fun fact I have about International is that Danny Elfman insisted on writing an original theme for uh, Agent M, Molly's character, since this was her emotional journey, which I don't remember. I don't can't picture I, that theme. I just noticed the absence of the Men in Black theme, which I'm okay with because I don't I don't need Easy. them to like. Easy. I don't need them to hit that much <laughs> with the theme that I remember. <laughs> Wait, what am I going easy? I thought you were going to say something bad about the Men in Black theme. No, I'm not the Men and in Black And you already said theme. something bad about Agent J, so, like, <laughs> we're on quarantine, so, like, <laughs> watch what we say about Men in Black. It's a great theme, of course. But I appreciate a movie that knows it has a great theme, but doesn't just, you know, put it every five minutes. Yeah, agreed. I certainly didn't see the music as a problem in, in any of these movies. I think they're all fairly well scored. I mean, I guess it depends on how you feel about the raps at the end of 2 and 3. I like the three. I remember liking that one. In Time by Pitbull. Mostly because it samples that, that song Baby. I like. Baby. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a 
Cool song. Yeah. I'll say that on a podcast. Yeah, that is a cool. No, you're right. I do song. like that one. I just don't, don't like nod your head. Three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh, nod your head. Was I all did right. forget that that was a a theme and a hit that summer though. So that was fun to remember. What? That. Yeah. I like I almost sort everything. Of lamented. I liked almost everything they did that referred to other stuff. I liked the painting of J and K versus Edgar. Um, I liked Frank being in it. I liked the worms being in it where they were. I wish that is how Frank and the worms had been dealt with in two. Just a little passing glance, not forcing them into the main plot. But yeah. So briefly, but only because I like to, well, whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to explain myself. Uh, briefly, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go over other technically existing sequels than the, the films presented MIB, the animated series basically takes place yes. in an alternate timeline where K isn't neuralized. So he, J and L continue on in the men in black. Um, I also think it's interesting that within the fiction of the cartoon show, the men in black movie exists starring Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. I didn't know that. Wow. Um, to help account for any continuity errors between movie and cartoon show there you go folks oh that that makes um, this and weirder what i was about to say which is that tony yes. shalhoub plays jeebs in the cartoon show um for the first season and then he was replaced by billy west but vincent d'onofrio oh. plays the twin brother of the edgar bug as well as every other bug that appears in the series he voices like four wow. or five different bug characters I did not know that. Yeah. Which That's is very cool. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, um, the, the TV series had a really cool main antagonist that would have made for an interesting movie. Alpha, who was another agent present that first night with Zed, um, who had turned evil or died or I don't know what his main deal was, but he was a bad guy. And he kept putting like incorporating different bits of aliens and alien technology into his body being consumed by like different alien parts and he just became more monstrous like Dr. Smith in the lost in space movie from 98. Yeah. Anybody? <laughs> um, You're so lucky to be friends with me. I mean, I do agree. That is a, that is a cool antagonist. I love the idea of Kay's mentor go, gone bad. I think that's a really rad. I mean, yeah. cooler than like moon monster or plant woman. Yeah. You know, that we got in the other movie. Yeah. Other than the uh, animated series, there is a game, computer game. Same deal, alt, alt reality in which JK and L are agents together. And in that game, they battle a chupacabra. Came out in tandem with the first movie. There was uh, another uh, video game called MIB Alien Crisis that ju- just went into the story of different agents during the time of Men in Black 3. They're in New Zealand on the uh, airline Air New Zealand. They ran a Men in Black themed safety video starring Zed and Frank the Pug. So wow. there was a person, the proposed 21 Jump Street crossover that never came to fruition. Can I very loudly lament that that didn't happen? <laughs> I don't think necessarily that that movie would have been particularly... I don't know. It could have been really awesome. Who knows? But what it would have done was sort of give permission to the world, be that first movie that says we can just combine intellectual properties. We can just mush this stuff together. 
we're allowed to, and maybe it'll work. Uh, and I was really curious to see what experimentation was going to come in the wake of that movie. I, I remember when that was the rumored thing at the time, being excited just for the idea that this was the shot in the arm that the men in black world needed. After three, yes. I feel like you're just left with this feeling of like, yeah, it'll never be as good, you know? And then, and then it, for it to come back in such a sort of like forward thinking, groovy, unconventional way, uh, would have been exciting for like a reason that you might not have expected. Uh, oh, okay. I, I have a yeah. question in terms of before we get into the pitching sequels, where do you lie on the denuralizer? Should it exist or not? I remember thinking, but if you don't undo the first one, if you don't de-neuralize him, you could have a movie where now K is the clueless one and J is the experienced one. Of course. And you can see how that dynamic changes with, with their different personalities. Because obviously Will Smith is not a cranky old man and yeah. he is going to be experienced in a different cocky way. So that would have been the fun of it. And this is a perfect transition for finally bringing up about the package that I sent you. I sent Travis a package that's technically Travis and Lauren's Christmas gift. And I told them not to open it till that we did this episode. A little bit of backstory. So when I was a kid, I had the comic book adaptation of the film Men in Black. So at the end of that comic book, there's a little panel at the bottom right corner that says the Men in Black will return in Men in Black Retribution. So... Whenever I played with my shitty, shitty Men in Black action figures, uh, I, I played Men in Black Retribution because that was the second one. That was, I knew that was what it was going to be called. And I could never find it as a kid. And then I don't know what happened. I gave up at some point. And then I didn't think about it until we we're doing this podcast again. So I looked it up and uh, now I've ruined ultimately what it is that you have in your package there. You know, it's good in radio. Funny hats. But she looks like she's doing a good job. <laughs> I have so cool. my own copy wow. here. Uh, I have what? <laughs> <laughs> I have not read it. I, I kept myself from reading it because I didn't want it to affect my pitch. So I don't know what happens, but that cover is very promising. K in civilian clothes. Oh, you're right. Cool. This is U.S. Marshals. And he has K. a regular gun. Yes, exactly. He does have a regular gun. It's a perfect. It's mm. exactly uh, what I want. It is our last hope. I think for I'm definitely going men to... in black retribution. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but the, the bug on the back of this behind them that fills the entire cover, mm -hmm. this alien looks remarkably like the alien at the end of men in black alien attack, the riot at universal Orlando. Oh, and I'm wondering if there's any, well, any connection. there. It's perhaps a concept that they were maybe going to follow it had they gotten to do a sequel like sooner after the first one. I will say what I do know yeah. about this comic is that it is credited as being written or at least co-written by the creator of the men in black comic books, which the movie is based on. That's exciting. This is based oh, on ooh, the film franchise. And this also interestingly enough is the last men in black comic written by the creator of the series. A bountiful physical gift and uh, a wealth of information as well. Thank you. Thank you. This is marvelous. So hopefully we get what we need from this, but it's now our turn to try. Here we go. 
I'll go yeah. next because I'm sure Paul is going to have something really impressive and thought out. <laughs> we'll take it from here. We don't need J and K. The fun of Men in Black is that you're just doing a cop movie with an alien twist. Instead, they keep making like really weird, big, giant alien movies with alien royalty and monsters and stuff. Um, and occasionally someone has to do a cop scene in a pawn shop. So I would, I would take it smaller and go in the other direction than they've gone. So I had the idea of like a, a true, de- true detective style series wrestling with the, um, rather than try to focus on any one specific men in black plot, we get just kind of like a, a, a look at their police life of different cases and stuff. And there can be one overarching case that connects all of this, but I'm much more interested in seeing like a law and order style men in black thing with smaller alien thing. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to explore the human side of like the men in black have access to all of this technology that clearly could benefit mankind in many ways. And they're not, they're not using it for that. Um, and I understand why, because if it falls into the wrong hands, it could destroy mankind. But I would be interested in seeing like a men in black agent wrestle with that in in their private life and then go to work and have to deal with like the day to day cop stuff of doing alien stuff and really just trying to, you know, that crushing, like knowing the universe is how big the universe is. What does that do to you here on the ground? And like, let's explore that with the backdrop of the alien show. Yeah. But uh, so that's my that's my major pitch uh, with the crime boss. And I have a couple other like little tiny notes here and there, but that's broadly it. You could do something like uh, Men in Black Office in Miami. Um, Florida jokes for aliens. That's easy. You could do uh, Men in Black Office in Los Angeles. Movie jokes. Super easy. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you could do one in New Orleans. Yeah. Just because I really like New Orleans. I don't have have a pit. I could be the true detective one. Loving aliens. I love that. Love it. Yeah. Sounds scary. Totally. Yeah. I, I don't have a cool title in mind. I, I would want to keep it really, really simple, just like as close to still calling it men in black as I could. Yeah. I just went a little bit more, I don't know, formulaic in terms of what we all talked about, like essentially going in with chapter two, taking what they gave us in chapter one uh, and moving the story forward. But I do have some twists that I'm interested in how you'll react to. All right. Uh, let's start wherever you started at. Okey Several months later, Jay and L are still active partners at MIB. Jay is dealing with a personal crisis of conscience about K and the fact that he'll never know of his world-saving achievements as an agent. He obsessively checks on him via the satellite that we see K use to check on his uh, old girl. Uh, L is well aware of Jay's fixation and also has a fixation of her own, spending time in the Men in Black tech department with the lab geeks. Jay often has to coax her out of there to join him on, like, a call. So we definitely get some action up front, J and L, busting alien heads or whatever. Classic. The major conflict, however, comes in the form of a shape-shifting alien who infiltrates MIB headquarters and causes, like, mass pandemonium by hacking their system. In the midst of attempting to control the fallout, Jay discovers that the one piece of information downloaded from the servers by the intruder was the location of the retired Agent K. 
Kevin Brown, meanwhile, is living a happy civilian existence with his girlfriend, though things keep happening that cause him to wonder how he's able to do a number of the things he's effortlessly able to do. I'm thinking there's like a scene where like maybe he's with her and like a mother-in-law type character and they're wedding shopping and then like two skateboard punks steal the mother-in-law's purse and then Kay sort of instinctively chases them down to subdues them. Could I just jump in? I was just going to give a note about like doing a more alien themed. It's the same gag, just instead of like that instinct, it's an alien based instinct. He would like see, notice something about some random passerby that no one else would have noticed. And he just looks at them and they look completely normal. And the, the person regards them back. And then maybe like the cephalopoids eyes, like just one little alien wink as though the aliens like, yes. YouTube. What's interesting but he doesn't know what is I feel like both Jay and Kay's origins are like in terms of being interested in it are just sort of uh, uh, happening upon it. Jay with the perp and Kay was on his way to take flowers to his girl and got lost. Like that was like Oh, interesting. That was how he sort of happened upon the job at all. Like, I didn't really care for in Men in Black 2 when they made it a thing where K steps outside after the demineralization and there's five obvious aliens in front of him. <laughs> that was so stupid to me. Because um, like, I never felt like it had to do with them having an interest so much as, like, feeling the call once they knew. You know, that part's kind of a, that, that part's kind of a sketch, but I do agree that yes, that could be a little more defined. Maybe it is an alien. Uh huh. So Jay takes it upon himself to head to Kay's location and offer protection from the potential coming threat. L stays behind to aid Zed in sorting things out at headquarters. Uh, an attack, well, it's not an attack so much as like Kay at his home is visited by this eccentric alien uh, who has a great distaste for falsehoods, sarcasm in particular, named Kuhn, who's the leader of the Carnithians, insert your whatever alien race name here. And he's played hmm. by Christopher Walken. His human disguise, which he later claims to have designed himself, looks really off. It's like more of like, a, it's very plasticky, like a life-size Ken doll type of look to it. So he shows up at Kay's, and apparently has some holds some grudge against Kay and uh, is amused by Kay's neutral status. He attempts to kill him, but Kay is wily enough that he is able to fend off the attack long enough for Jay to arrive, sort of save him at the last second. Kuhn flees, assuring of a you know that he'll be back. Jay, who sort of introduces himself in sort of the classic, just neuralized way that they always do, where it's like a passive, like I'm a, but it, you know, like an FBI agent whose car broke down a few miles over or whatever. Uh, he's invited by Kay's wife mm. to stay the night. Kay mistrusts the situation because he feels the same sense of deja vu with Jay as he did with Kuhn, the alien. Jay reports back to Zed about everything that's happened. Zed is confused because there's been an intergalactic embargo placed on the Carnithians forbidding anyone to trade weapons with them. Uh, after doing some investigating, Zed figures out the tech must have come from inside Men in Black. He tells Elle about it and for his trouble, she injects him with a paralyzing agent. Turns out, Elle was behind everything. She used Men in Black tech to pose as the shape-shifting alien and made a deal with the Carnithians Weapons sufficient to take MIB down for a ship, a crew, 
and a great deal of galactic credit, or whatever you would call space money. She wants to see space and money. to know and to experience everything. And as far as the Earth is concerned, she's always hated the living anyway. She does say that. Basically, in rewatching Men in Black, the way the intensity of her character and the performance, I read her for the first time as a potential mad person, like a threat awesome. that they would let that they sort Dude, of let like in very quickly without vetting her. I mean, at least like Jay was a cop. She was just this right. mortician, super interested in investigating the bodies. And then she liked the gun. She liked killing the thing. So I'm just sort of following that track to the idea that she would eventually just want everything and be frustrated that Man Black is not utilizing what they have the way she thinks they should be. What I really, really like about that, uh, beyond like obviously that seeing, seeing her in more of the movie and getting to do that. And you never get to see, you never get to see that. You never get to see, uh, like a, am I, am I just crazy? We get to see like a, a good guy, woman character turn evil. Yeah. Or antagonist at least. And it's still, it um, would, that's not something. And it would still work to watch the first movie and not need her to seem evil. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to have to get bogged down in the details because the details aren't where it's at. But that like main twist is like a big part of the hook here. I, oh, that's great. Also, I like that her motivation isn't like it's it's understandable. Yes. Like she found out there's a whole universe and she she knows there's a way in and she finds yes. it. That's great. Yes. At some point, Jay is like a, figures out what's going on with Ellen is about to start heading back, but Kay's wife has found his neuralizer. And is like scared for for what he's there to do, and sort of makes it go off so that she and Jay are neuralized because she doesn't put the sunglasses on because she doesn't know to. And then Kay comes in, and he is now the one who knows the most about the situation. So they really have to, as just three individual characters, put their efforts together to figure out because because then the Carnithians come back to attack the house. They have to fend them off as regular civilians together, or at least long enough to escape. And then as civilians figure out their way back to MIB to deal with the issue. So they go into MIB with limited information. And then when they get there, Elle isn't expecting them to have survived because she made a deal with the Carnithians or whatever. So she's acting to them as if they're on the same side. They're trying to act as themselves against her. Everybody's lying to each other, trying to fool everybody else. It's very like farcical. And then I thought like a really funny head. Oh, and also then when the Carnithians arrive, Elle has to pretend she's on the men in black side and that she's defending against them, which confuses the weird eccentric Christopher Walken character further farce. And then everything comes to a head when Zed arrives, like all tied up or something still. And nobody knows who it is yeah. except for L because they've all forgotten. Oh, uh, right. Uh, um, boy, that is ambitious. Like that's really fun, but you had better, you would better be writing with a razor blade, man. Yeah. You gotta be careful with that script. That could go wrong. Thousand different times. 
Um, so like what I had in terms of, uh, the end was that, you know, they, they catch her, they defeat Chris Walken, neuralize her, and then she doesn't, she's put back in the exact same place she was before she was let in on any of this stuff. So who's to say she'll go bad? You know, she is now just passionate right, yeah. person in an odd place again. It, it is a punishment because it's, you know, it's invasive brain damage. Um, but it's also not cruel. It's merciful because they're not taking away your freedom. They're going to put you back in your little life. But, you know, I don't know. It feels like a good middle ground. Yeah. A good clemency. Yeah. Punishment. Yeah. And then the last thing I had was like that Jay and Kay's wife are deneuralized and given their memories back. But Kay is offered, sure. Kay is offered the same thing and turns it down. And then. Jay starts to tell him, like, well, let me tell you about, you know, I have to tell you about who you were and what you did. And he says, you know, no thanks, Slick. You already, you've done enough. You know, like, goes back to his That's really has nice. a nice retirement. I, I also like that Kay's wife is a character yeah. this time around. That's really, She's really, that's a really cool bit. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that she'll almost, like, um, fill in the, the role that Linda, that, uh, L plays at the end with Edgar, where she's who L takes captive, um, and right. she sort of fights back a little bit. And yeah, Kay's wife is definitely an active character. And then I'm thinking maybe it even like ends with Kay and Kay, Kay's wife, who you never they never said they were married, so like you actually see them get married. And then maybe Jay oh, okay. is somewhere in the crowd watching, and Kay sees him and smiles. But then the next time he looks, Jay's gone. I, fuck. I just had the thought, like, maybe instead of seeing him there, um, in the, uh, amongst the wedding gifts are just a, a pair of normal gas station sunglasses with no card. Oh, yeah. Um, That's cool. And then he kind of, he kind of like just, maybe he just picks them up off the pile and puts them in his pocket wordlessly. Um, and then I had another. No, I mean. I had another cool thought about what you just said, and I can't remember. Well, I was trying to think of more of like, cause they always have that little button at the end that makes it a little more science fiction y, like the marbles at the end of the first one of the aliens playing with the marbles. I wanted to sort of figure something like that out, and I think that that's, that's a good place to take it, is that Jay leaves a gift that's sort of sci fi, fun, techie, that maybe when Kay takes his nightly look out at the stars, he puts the glasses on and sees more than he's ever seen or something like that. Some, a nice, like a nice. Yeah. And yeah, so that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and no, so my title, the, the, my title for that is uh men in black deja vu. Cool. That's true. Uh, you know, in this alternate timeline, you can use men in black too, as a title if you want. Yeah, but I, I, I took a swing. Uh, yeah, I was just, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write down, I'm going to write down men in black deja vu. And Men in Black 2, and we'll just see where we are later in production. Or Men in Black 2, colon, electric deja. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, that got they add, okay. All right. They add an electric you, element to aliens just to make that work. Yeah, I love it. All, All right. right. How does this um, voting process? Yes, well... I can be the judge if you guys want, since I didn't really contribute anything. So I guess, yeah, if you want to be the judge, go ahead. That sounds fine to me. I'm I'm fine with that. I don't know. I don't. I'm I'm just here. Okay. Um, they're both really good. Both mm. really cool ideas. Oh, okay. I know that fucking tone. <laughs> Congratulations are in order, <laughs> Paul. Um, you can't 
listen to Paul's pitch, which is so thought out and so detailed, without saying that it is the clear win. Oh. You know what the difference is between you and me? I make this look good. I don't know if, like, the added poison of clear winner I, I was think, needed. I was thinking clear was kind of harsh, but <laughs> it was just so detailed, and it was so well thought out. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Paul, uh, I was very torn after I heard your whole pitch, because I really wanted to vote for myself. <laughs> well, um, but it almost swayed me. That was, that's a really, really cool, cool idea. But, I mean, the, the thing is, I feel like I would vote for both pitches, because... I yeah. want both of them in a different respect. Like where we are now, I still want what you pitched. You know what I mean? I would still like mm. to enjoy the world of Men in Black in some way where it's well utilized. Um, and then I just sort of gave the uh, fanboy uh, fan fiction thing. So it's like I-, I would really love to have seen the like 1998 or 2000 yeah. Men in Black déjà vu. I, I you know. Maybe one day you will get to write on a on a Men in Black sort of like continual series, like they have a Fargo now, you know? Yeah, that would be cool. Last thing I want to squeeze into this insanely long episode uh, is quick things left on the table. Let's get these things off the table. Seriously, though, I need to use it. I mean, it's, this is our season finale. And I don't know when we'll get a chance to do this again. So it's, uh, you know, figure I might as well try to hit some yeah. some greatest hits. We did this on the Return of Jafar episode. It's things that we didn't uh, uh, necessarily pay heed to that maybe we should have while we were discussing these other movies. Oh, great. I love it. So going in order, the first one that I've got here, Congo, going back to our pilot, basically. Wow. Uh, I made quick reference to the Congo video game, Congo, the movie, The Lost City of Zinj. And in the episode, I dismissed it as having no plot points that differ from the film, which is not necessarily true. So basically, the premise of Congo, the movie, The Lost City of Zinj, is that the surviving member of the Travicon team that gets killed at the beginning makes his way through the jungle, runs into all the same hits that our heroes did, the lava, the gorillas, all that good stuff, and then at the end survives, but finds the diamonds somehow, and then buys Travicom, knocking that bad guy right out of his... What's that? Did a nine-year-old write this game? <laughs> Biggest diamond in the world, and I bought Travicom. Well, he did it for revenge, because Travicom were dicks to him. He tried to get home, you know, with Travicom, and they went, Bring us the diamonds! So he just sure. sold the diamonds, and... Oh, so anyways... Good. Well, in case you ever wondered if there was an epilogue to Congo, the fact is the surviving member of the Travicon team <laughs> found the diamonds and bought Travicon. So I'll, I can accept that <laughs> as canon. Go for him. Uh, okay. This is just sort of patting myself on the back. Uh, one of my pitches in our Ghostbusters 2 episode, which we recorded before they released the trailer for the new 2020 Ghostbusters uh, thing that's being released. Uh-huh was Ghostbusters Hereafter, and the title for the new one is Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, pretty cool, Paul. 
I think mine's even better, but we'll see. Um, and then last but not least, in the Return of Jafar episode, we questioned what happened to Abysmal in the Aladdin universe. Because... And? he Okay, so you know why. Uh, he's introduced in Return of Jafar, doesn't appear in King of Thieves. There is no definitive answer. He has no definitive ending. However, in Aladdin King of Thieves, many of the animations they used for the thieves... Uh, that are in Aladdin's father's band are the same ones that were the lackeys for Abysmal. So one could uh, infer that they at some point betrayed him, murdered him. Maybe he's just in jail. But either way, they left his team and went over to the uh, to the King of Thieves at some point. So he's out of the picture. There's character potential if we want to do the Aladdin TV show, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the starring Jason Alexander. Um, ooh, you're one of those multi-sneezers. Oh, yeah, at least four. And her sneezes, I don't know how it sounds on the mic, but they sound exactly (laughs) like coughs, and they are the sharpest, (laughs) piercingest, raspy sound. Every single cough just sounds like a tack in my ear. Well, on that very, very sweet note, if you have anything you guys want to plug, go ahead and plug it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap ourselves right out of here. Yeah, I'll, I'll plug our usual, the other podcasts. Theater of Tomorrow is our science fiction anthology one. And The Hotel is our horror show. Um, check out however many episodes of those are available in this current timeline. Mm. Oh. Um, and I have uh, my Etsy shop just made my first sale last, last week. That's exciting. <sighs> nice. That Funko. Awesome. Well, I um, I was really happy to get to do this with you guys. I, I know it uh, was a long afternoon, but it was great to see you. And <laughs> um, hopefully we worked, even though we made ourselves watch all these movies in a row, maybe we worked through some of those issues today. But overall, came away with a positive experience. And it forced me to watch Men in Black International, a movie I now enjoy and apparently own. All right. Well, do we want to end on a definitive name for our listeners? The, uh, the, uh, well, don't I know you should pick one. I normally think of some weird name. Well, you've said the Downers, the Shoders. Yeah. Which. Shoders. And then the others you pitched were nonsense. So those are, (laughs) (laughs) those are my finalists. Um, the Shoder people. The Follow Uppers. Mm. Follow Uppers isn't Yeah, it sounds like a Fuppers. Is Fupper taken? <laughs> I was like, it's followers. Fupper? Anyone? Fupper? Dale! Fupper? I hardly know her. There it is. Alright, well, this isn't getting an answer today. We'll work on it. On the epilogue. Sadly, Men in Black Retribution is not good. Uh, the artwork in it is cool, but Travis and I concur. Don't waste your money. Just consider it another bullet taken for your listening pleasure.